Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Hey, Frontline, David Dorner here. So sorry that I can't be with you in person because I'm actually traveling right now. I'm in Guatemala exploring our new partnership with Global Faith Network, uh, not just with Frontline, but with the entire Zero Collective. So I'm down there. John is down there from Center Church as well. Uh, But I wanted to introduce to you our speaker for today. His name is Kyle Cottridge. He's the lead pastor of the Story Church, which is also part of the Zero Collective of which we are a part of. So I'm so excited for you to hear from him. I love Kyle. He's a dear friend of mine. He's an exceptional preacher, and I'm so excited for him to bring the Word of God to you today. So please give him a really warm frontline welcome as he comes up. Well, good morning, church. How are you doing today? Good. I I feel like I'm already going to like this. I'm what you call a hollaback preacher. Anybody know what that is? The more you do that, the shorter I might preach. That's what I tell my church, and that's why sometimes I just got to go for 45 minutes. Um, but I'm told I don't have 45 minutes, today, which is great. So we're going we're gonna to go on in. As I was driving here this morning, can I share something that I strongly dislike? I strongly dislike those orange cones and barrels on the side of the road. Anybody else feel me on that? Construction zones. You have to slow down. I like getting places fast. You have to pay attention more, and I'm jamming out to music or podcasts. It's almost as if you have to keep your eyes up on the road of what's going on, because there's been multiple times where I've had to swerve to miss these things. You know what I'm saying? I'm a really good driver, by the way. My, my kids don't think so. My four-year-old, my five-year-old, they're like, Dad, why doesn't Mom drive? I'm like, nope, we are. And it seems like during this season recently, For me, at least, I've experienced more and more construction zones lately. It feels like every single road is under construction right now. Am I right? I was heading somewhere, and it's like a 45-minute delay, and I totally broke the law and pulled into one of those things in between the highways and zipped around the other way. And my five-year-old sitting in the back seat, we were getting a haircut, looks at me and is like, Dad, we don't normally do that. I was like, I know. Don't tell Mom, but we're okay. And we got to the place, but it seems like over and over and over again, we're facing these construction zones. There's more blinking lights telling me to move over to the right, move over to the left. There's more billboards and signs that say, expect delays, prepare to stop. And quite frankly, I like going fast. I don't like to stop. I don't like to slow down. And I really don't like to go on the roads when they're bumpy or have potholes and I feel like I'm playing Mario Kart, trying to dodge the shells and everything in between. And as I thought about the construction phase of our roads right now and everything that is being redone or reconstructed, it it started to ask the question for me of, how many times in my life have I felt like my faith journey has also been under construction? 
How many times in my life have I felt like and looked at my journey in faith and said, you know, God, it seems like things are really bumpy and rocky right now. It seems like there's a lot of potholes that I'm hitting. It seems like I'm struggling to find the right groove to drive into. What is going on? And what kind of dawned on me was that in order for construction to happen, there's something that has to happen first. Stuff has to be tore up. Stuff has to be deconstructed. And that word alone we're going to be talking about today, before we kind of start to squirm in our seats, I I said the word deconstruction. That's what we're talking about today. Are you excited? That was not convincing. (laughs) But here's the reality. When that word deconstruction is said, a lot of us instantly go to one place. It's defined as this critical analysis or to rethink or try to understand why do I believe what I believe, especially when it comes to our faith. Critical analysis, looking at what you believe, what I believe, and why should we believe it. Ultimately, it leads us to a place of another word that many of us don't like to talk about in church. Doubt. Woo! Doubt. Doubt. It's a word that a lot of times we don't like to talk about. It makes us uneasy. It makes us uncertain. It makes us start to question a lot. Can I just ask the simple question, though? Is there anything right now, is there something right now that you are doubting, that you are questioning, or even that you are struggling in your faith as you walked in those doors today? Is there anything that you are doubting right now? Is there anything that you are questioning? Is there anything that I am questioning? Is there anything that I am struggling in my faith? I'm seeking answers. I'm seeking to be reconstructed. There's a lot of emotions when it comes to this topic. And for some of us, we maybe have never even processed through what deconstruction is. We just grew up with the faith, going to church, that we went to church as a young kid. You grew up in the faith. This is what you believe. This is who Jesus is. This is what we do. It's church. You go on a Sunday morning, and maybe if you were like me, you go on Wednesday nights, and on Sunday morning, you have to get dressed up, and you have to look your best, and you have to put on the face and, and everything, and you have to get it all together, and then on Wednesday nights, you show up. And it's like, we do the same thing again, but yet I still don't know what I believe and why do I believe it. Anybody else ever felt that? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Because our world tells us that doubt is bad. Don't doubt, especially your faith. But hear me out on this. What if, what if there's a different way? Like, what if there's a different way that isn't focused on doubt? Isn't focused on doubt, but rather on the liberating truth that rejects the idolatry of our culture and follows the way of a carpenter from Nazareth. What if there's another way that we can experience freedom in our lives and in our faith today? I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for that other way. Amen? I am hungry for that. And I believe that Jesus wants to walk with us through a radical reconstruction of our faith. Jesus wants to walk with us through a radical reconstruction. He doesn't want to just let everything just be super simple and easy. I think the beauty in our faith, the beauty in what Jesus invites us into is the mess of life. And it makes us really uneasy. It makes us squirm. It means we might get dirty and we might get scratched up and bruised, but Jesus invites us into it because that's exactly where he is too. Is it possible to come out the other side of deconstruction? 
more in love with the living God than you were before? Is it possible that we can navigate deconstruction and have a deeper love even for his bride, the church, than what we had before? Is it possible? Is there a way to navigate deconstruction that will forge us more into the character of God than the character of our culture? Today, I want to just journey through one person. One person and his radical life experience when it comes to deconstruction and doubt. We're going to journey through the life of Thomas. And again, many of us, maybe if you grew up in the church, you know a little bit about Thomas. You know his journey a little bit. But I want to look at it, and I want to look at his journey and what we learn from it. And so here's what I want to do. The first thing I want to do is I want, I want you and I to maybe go back to that day. Go back to the day as you place yourself on that warm evening, sitting at the kitchen table. You can almost feel the buzz. You can almost sense there's this new urgency as you and your closest buddies recline around the table. There's this new urgency, but yet there's this new energy and you don't quite know what to do with it because your world has just been shaken to the core. The one that you have loved, the one you have followed, the one you have tried to learn from has just died and you don't know what to do next. And as you guys are talking and you guys are discussing the story and everything that has happened, there's this weight, the weight that you are feeling on your shoulders. See, the room is buzzing, the conversations are seemingly getting louder, but yet... We can't get too loud that those out there outside of these walls hear us talking about the man who just died. But there he sits, Thomas. It's still fresh for him. It's still hurting. He still feels broken and uncertain on what to do next. His savior, his rabbi, his teacher just died. He hasn't fully processed what this means. But out of nowhere comes (laughs) this crazy, insane story from his closest friends, his, his brothers, essentially. We have seen him. Thomas, we have seen him. He is alive. He is here. He, we have seen him. And, and there Thomas stands once again now. You have, you have seen him, but, but how? He died. I, I saw him be placed in the tomb. How have you seen Jesus? Impossible. No, we have seen him. I won't believe it till I see it myself. No, 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 Thomas says. I won't believe it till I physically put my finger in the holes, till I physically put my hand into his side. I won't believe it until I feel it. Thomas is struggling in these moments. And when you sit at that kitchen table, if we're sitting in that room, many of us are probably in the same seat as Thomas. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 25, this is what it reads. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. 
They told him, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nails in his, the nail wounds in his hands. I put my fingers into them and placed my hand into the wound in his side. He's very, very specific here. He wants evidence. He doesn't want stories. He wants cold, hard evidence. He doesn't want to just talk about it. He wants to feel it and see it with his own two eyes and his own two hands. There's this doubt of Thomas. I mean, that's what he's known for, right? Thomas the doubter. That's what we grew up learning who Thomas is. I grew up learning that Thomas was a disciple that doubted. And instantly my mind would go to the place of like, how in the world, Thomas, do you doubt Jesus? Are you crazy? You saw him heal people. You saw him spit in dirt, make mud, smear it on the dude's eyes and get healed. You saw him talk and heal just with his voice. How do you doubt? How in the world do you doubt Jesus? You must be mad. Thomas, are you kidding me? But so many of us are just struggling just like Thomas did. He's struggling with doubt. He's struggling with his unbelief. He's struggling with questions. And he just wants answers, man. He just wants answers. And here's what's so beautiful here. It's so beautiful that is, is he's doubting, but he is actually really struggling with the unbelief of his closest friends, his brothers, essentially their story. He's struggling with like, how does that happen? How does, I saw him die in the tomb and now you're telling me he's walking around. I don't, I don't understand that. I have this unbelief, and it's his unbelief, Thomas's unbelief, drives him to not just wanting to see, but rather to feel. To feel. He wants the real evidence. I remember the first time reading this and hearing about the story and thinking to myself, that's kind of disgusting, Thomas. You want to put your finger in a hole of somebody's flesh? Like, that's just weird to me. And I never understood the deep longing of that. Until more recently. He wants to be so close to Jesus and feel for himself the living, breathing son of God once again. He wants an intimate, personal, deep connection with Jesus again. And even in this moment, as much as we sometimes give Thomas a bad rap here, can we just pause for a moment in the story and also realize, though, that we have a lot of respect for Thomas here. Because he's not pretending to believe something that he actually doesn't believe. He's not just going around with the flow. He's not just saying like, oh, you saw him? I guess I'll say I saw him too. I guess I'll just believe that. But rather he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. That doesn't make sense to me. So how in the world am I going to believe it? He's not pretending to believe something that he actually doesn't have the faith in right now. But that story doesn't end there. The story goes on. See, for the next week, eight days, Thomas is lingering and navigating and journeying in his doubt and his unbelief. The conversations with his buddies are still being had. He's still talking with his his friends, the other disciples. 
You have seen him. I, I don't understand what that means. You have seen him. He was here. I, I still don't get that. The creak of the chairs is all f- too familiar as they gather again eight days later. They're still talking about how he came and he's alive, but yet Thomas is still wandering, still searching, still questioning, still doubting. Questions unanswered, things are unsaid. Hope for Thomas is seemingly wavering in the wind. But then, Jesus appears. There's no creak of the door as it opens because the door remains shut. There's no windows that fling wide open. Jesus just appears. And can you picture that moment as you're sitting, reclining in the chairs in the living room now of the house, and here Jesus appears and he looks directly at Thomas in all of his radiance and all of his glory and beauty of the resurrected Jesus. And he looks at Thomas and he says, Thomas, my man. Come put your finger in the hole. Come feel the wound of the side. Thomas, come. Come. I'm right here. You are welcome to come and experience me for yourself. The voice of the Savior pierces through the silence. The voice of the Savior pierces through the silence and offers peace and evidence and hope and answers to the longing of Thomas. What's so incredible is that the words that Thomas spoke of, I won't believe until I put my finger through the hole or touch the side, was never uttered to Jesus' face, but rather Jesus understands what Thomas needs in the moment to have faith in him. It's a beautiful scene, really. It's a beautiful scene because Jesus offers the exact answers that Thomas is longing and looking for. See, what's so incredible about this story is for many of us, when we start to struggle with doubt or questions in our faith, we have this idea that God is condemning our doubt, that God can't handle our doubt. Like my doubts are too big for my God. But rather Jesus shows us very clearly that he invites us into his presence to help us move from unbelief to belief. Why? Because Jesus wants to walk with us through a radical reconstruction of our faith. John 20, 26 through 29. It's the exact thing we just talked about. Eight days later, disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked suddenly as before. Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. My Lord, my God. Thomas has his evidence, sees the living Jesus, physically is able to touch Jesus, 
And the first thing he does is exclaim titles of deity. My Lord, my God. You can almost imagine the excitement go from his very toes all the way through the hairs on his head. My Lord, my God, you have done what you have said. You are real. You are living. You are here in my presence. I am in your presence. You can feel the moment for Thomas where he goes from unbelief to belief. Can I just be honest with you? Is this not the same exact thing that each and every one of us long for in our lives? To walk into or sit in a room and have the presence of the living, breathing, forceful, beautiful God come into our lives where we would just exclaim, my Lord, my God, you are here for me. My Lord, my God. It's the same way that Thomas was. See, Thomas did life with Jesus for years, months. He walked with him. He did life with him. He had seen so much of Jesus' power and miracles on full display. He participated with him. He did life. He broke bread. He ate with him. He had a belief in Jesus. There's the faith formation conversation that Thomas and Jesus has where Jesus says, and I will show you the way. And Thomas is like, yo, God, how does that work? I don't have the map to get to the Father. And Jesus goes, Thomas, it's very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't get to the Father except through me. It's this, it's this declaration of Jesus that is so pivotal for our faith as much as it is for Thomas's faith. But then there's that moment in his life that everything is shaken. A moment where everything falls apart, it feels like. His rabbi, his teacher, his beloved friend is hung on a cross. His body is beaten. His blood is spilled out. He hears the agony in Jesus' voice on the cross. He, he's starting to, to have his faith, his core beliefs, shaken at the core. Where do I go? Where do I go? What do I do from here? So he goes from believing to having his belief shaken at an event in his life. He sees his Savior die. Why? Because Do- Thomas is actually believing himself over the words of God. But then there's a radical moment where God appears to him, Jesus appears to him again, and there's rebelief. There's a reconstruction of his faith. He encounters Jesus eight days later, and I think it's so beautiful that, that God allows us sometimes to sit with our doubts, with our questions, and even our frustrations so that our belief can be restored in his name. I think it's beautiful that God allows us to struggle in our faith because it shows how great and how big our God really is. And there's many of us that are probably asking some big questions. Life has really stunk lately. God, why is this happening? Where do I go from here? What do I do? And some of us are even asking hard questions. If you are really God, why did you let this happen? If you are good and if you are loving, what in the world is going on? I remember for me, it was I was 15 years old. Parents are getting divorced. I have this huge fallout with my father. And I remember standing in my yard, 3 a.m., screaming out to God, you're a good God, right? 
This is not good. My family is in shambles. I don't know what to do or where to go. How good are you really, God? You're a provider? You're a provider? I don't feel like I've been provided for. I don't feel like you're in this mix right now. God, you're God over all. You're powerful over all. Why didn't you stop this? You're faithful. So why does it feel like you have left me high and dry just like everybody else in my life? I remember deconstructing my faith at 15 years old. And that was even before the word deconstruction was something that was allowed in our culture. (laughs) I remember radically walking through a deconstruction of my faith, of who God is and what he was really doing. Because as I came out and as I journeyed with it, he started to reveal slowly to me that, God, I've always been there. I've always been there. You know these men and women who stepped into the gap when you needed it the most? That was me showing you that my hands and my feet are walking and holding you up. Do you remember when you felt like you didn't have enough, but then all of a sudden you had enough? You had the roof over your head. You had the clothes to wear, the means to get to where you needed to go. That was me not just providing, but sustaining you through the storm, brother. Do you understand that, Kyle, I've never left you. I've never forsaken you and I certainly haven't forgotten you. I've allowed you to sit with your doubt and your questions so that you could really truly understand who I really am in your life. I struggled with my own deconstruction. But can I just be very honest? The reason why I struggled so much with it, because it was all about me. (laughs) It was all about me. God, If you really loved me, this wouldn't happen. God, I really could use a new pair of Jordans right now. All about me. See, I remember processing through deconstruction with my buddies, and he helped me understand this. He said, the goal, like for Jesus sometimes, Jesus wants to help us to understand that God is not a critical spectator in our lives, but rather he's a compassionate narrator. He wants us to participate, and he wants to love on us, and he wants to walk with us in this. See, dangerous deconstruction is all about me, all about me. It's all about what I feel, how good I feel. Is this comfortable for me? One of uh, what's intriguing is when you start talking about deconstruction, when you talk about people looking at the Bible and saying, God, like, is this really good for me? Thomas Jefferson comes to mind. If you were to Google a picture of Thomas Jefferson's Bible, you would see that there are chunks of it literally cut out. He was known to go and sit with scissors and a a knife and cut out chunks that was anything supernatural. Miracles, cut it out. The miraculous rising of the dead, of Lazarus, cut it out. We don't need that. Jesus rising from the dead, cut it out. Supernatural is not for Thomas Jefferson. It's a pretty depressing Bible because Jesus never rises again. He stays in the tomb for Thomas Jefferson. Supernatural, though, made Thomas Jefferson uncomfortable. So he just cut that part of faith out. Another example would be the slave Bibles. Masters would literally rip out 
whole entire books. The book of Exodus, liberation, being free, get, get out of here. Why? Because it made them uncomfortable and it didn't fit what they wanted in their lives. See, I think that there's this reality in our culture that we want to pass on this version of our faith that makes us really comfortable. Don't ask me to get uncomfortable. Don't ask me to do something that I don't want to do. So we cut out the parts that don't work for us. We treat this as a buffet. Ah, uh, I don't like that part, so I'm not going to take it. But I really like this part, so I'm going to eat a lot of that. But I'm not going to touch any of this. See, I think there's an invitation for us in our deconstruction of our faith that Jesus invites us to a healthy deconstruction, a necessary deconstruction. And this necessary deconstruction is centered around Jesus. It's centered around his presence. It's centered around the love that he has for us. It's centered around who he is and what he continues to do in our lives. C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. I need Christ, not something that resembles him. I need Christ. And my idea of God is not a divine idea. It needs to be shattered from time to time. And he shatters it himself. Could we not almost say that this shattering is one of the marks of his presence? The incarnation is the supreme example. It leaves all previous ideas of the Messiah in ruins. When Jesus came in the form of a baby born into the ghetto in a poor family, he shattered every idea we had of what the Messiah should look like. And rather, he invited us into a journey where he radically reconstructs our faith together. Together. Acts 17. This is what it says, Acts 17, verses 10 through 12. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. The people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And as a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. They examined the scriptures daily together. They heard what was being said, and then they opened up the word of God, and they said, is this really the truth? Did what I heard today, was that really the truth? Can I just be very honest with us? We don't do that a lot of times. Here's my encouragement. Whatever I said today, go home, open this up, and compare it. Don't take Brian's word for truth. Don't take even David's. This is the truth, the way, and the only way. Can I also be honest? There's only one truth in our culture, and his name is Jesus Christ. My truth don't matter because my truth is based off emotions or feelings. There is a truth that is living and breathing and has stood the test of time, and the truth is simple. Come. Come. Come into my presence coming to me. Just come. His hands are open. He is willing and waiting. And what's so beautiful is as Jesus is sitting there, I can just picture it right now, man. Jesus is sitting there and just longing for us. And his arms are wide open and all he says is simple, come. You got doubts, bring your doubts. You got worries, bring your worries. You got questions, bring them all. We serve a God who is bigger than any doubt, who is bigger than any fear, bigger than any culture, bigger than any moment that we can ever understand. 
and he invites us into community together. So maybe you walked in here today with some doubt. Maybe you walked in here today with some fear. Maybe this is your first time walking back into a church from being burned or hurt. And you're asking the question, where do I go from here? What do I do? I hear you talking about this man who is above all the doubts and he's bigger than that. Where do I go? Go to community. That's why newcomers lunch is so important. That's why small groups are so pivotal for our faith journeys. That's why navigating the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs of our lives. In the biblical text, we understand that it is encouraged to do so in community. You're not alone in this. Where do you go? You find Cody afterwards and you say, hey, I got some questions. I go to that newcomer's lunch. Hey, I've been going at this whole thing alone. Can I get plugged into a group? Or maybe for some of us today, we just walked in here and we say, you know, I've been really struggling with who God is. Can somebody walk through and help me understand and answer some questions of my faith? We'd love to partner with you and get you plugged in. More importantly, we'd love to, to pray with you and to walk into the presence of the almighty God because there's no safer place and there's no better place than his presence, amen? Would you pray with me? Father, you are good. And we know that your spirit right now is here. So Lord, as your spirit just is moving, as your spirit is just dwelling upon us and, and among us, I ask that you would invite us deeper into your presence that you would invite us deeper into knowing you and loving you. God, would you remind us that our, our doubts and our fears and our questions and our uncertainties are not too big for you, that you hold them in the palm of your hand. And as you hold them and you, you give us your presence, Lord, you do so with a smile, with love and with grace. So Father, we just ask right now that you would continue to bring, bring your spirit deeper deeper and deeper into our lives, Lord. Let it saturate every aspect of our lives. We ask for a holy, uh, just flood of your presence, Father. Open the floodgates. Let us experience more of you than we've ever experienced in our lives. God, we give you our doubts. We give you our fears. We give you our questions. We give you all the uncertainties we may have. We lay them at your feet, knowing that you have them. You're in control that you are seated in the heavens. You're not pacing back and forth. You're not anxious. You are in control. God, we ask that you just continue to help us give over our lives to full control of you. God, we love you. Praise in your name. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.